Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel. I love the goddamn sound. Everybody is a euphoria. My body is a euphoria, and I. My body is never a euphoria. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever describe my body as a euphoria. <laughs> welcome, welcome to this week's episode on euphoria. Wow. Because the thing is, if, if Holden and I are obsessed with the television, this is the best part. Is that now when we get obsessed with something, it's technically we are making it into our job exactly. to research euphoria for three days straight. I a- actively wanted to learn as much as I could about this television show, and I was absolutely able to do that over the last few days. Because I was just wondering if I could get like just a quick how right I was about okay. you watching this show. You know Can what? I just, yeah. You could fine. just let me know how right you I was. You were incredibly right. Let me just, alright, let's you. let's say let's say it right now, okay? I, I keep pitching euphoria to people as you don't think it's for you it's for you watch euphoria it's like totally that show that you think uh is just totally for a different audience and it's so not it is just like i mean if it you know i do understand that it is way too triggering for a lot of people and i do get that there were times that i had to stop many episodes and then I was like I just need a minute I need a minute I'm gonna go take a step outside I'm gonna go think about my life and my choices right and then I would go back in and continue watching was it, it especially the mental health stuff or was it more the sexual promiscuity or was it the heavy drinking and drug use which of those uh do you think was the most um haunting for your soul I would say I think that what was the most haunting for my soul was, of course, identifying with Kat as a bigger girl and trying to um, like and really utilizing my self-hatred and how I felt about myself through abusing myself with promiscuous sex. But it also was the that was the it was the group that I used to roll with when I was a lot younger and a lot of the different characters different facets of them reminded me very much of people that I knew and that is something that like especially when it came to the drug use and of course it's a very it's a lot prettier of a picture than what it really is and I think that that was part of why I loved the show so much is that it is in the the title euphoria is so perfect because when you're in it it's spectacular. Yeah. And you don't realize how dank and difficult and just gritty your life is until you're on the other side of it and you're like, oh, why did I see it as so beautiful? Why did I see it as something that was so magical? And there are times in my life that I still kind of miss how self-destructive I used to be. Right. Because when you're in it, it's everything. Right. It's it's well, I mean, I will say that it, it has been those moments of dark, deep tragedy, at least in my head and in my soul, personal problem, you know, going through heartbreak or dealing with that adversity. Those are the times you feel the most alive, I think. And there's right. a certain I'm there I mean, I, I would not want to be in that state at all times. But there is something to say about, and of course, in my head, I'm thinking about our super sad sum- summer, where we yes. w- would go on these like crazy day excursions all over New York because everybody was sort of fucked up and broken, and but but like, and I, we would drink all day, all day, and we would just like do anything, any kind of pill we could grab. It's like we were just going, but also having amazing experiences yeah. and then blinking and being like where the fuck are we right. and then you laugh and you laugh and you and then you just have all these amazing times but it's not it's scary in 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 reality it's very scary and i know that there's a lot of people that i've actually talked to about euphoria that it's like 
that's not real life. That doesn't happen. Teens aren't going through that. You're right, not every teen goes through that, and not every person has that. But it is a part of life yeah. that does exist. I, I appreciate the uh though the exaggeration of it all, the distortion of it all, the magical realism of it. It it makes it somehow more palatable and also more um more it gets across its its messages better, I feel like. Yeah. It it, it, it hits home harder. Also though, it's like more okay to deal with because you're like, yeah, this is not real. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, it's a- <laughs> <laughs> it's the room. The room spinning. That wouldn't actually happen. No, just walking on the walls. What? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But as someone that has been, especially, I've been dealing with my mental illness for my entire life, and there are times when you do. That's like that episode when Rue is like most of it is like a monologue, and she feels like everything is a. That she's solving a crime. I love someone, that episode. I was about to bring that one up because, like, I'm a that manic was depressive. Yeah. And I get it. I know that she is OCD. I believe that she's bipolar, right? That is, they're they're very different, and I understand that. But there have been times where I'm just like, I don't even know. I could have been walking on the walls. When you're in that state of just like of mania. You don't know what's up and what's down. Sometimes you just keep going, and you're excited and you're into it. I was checking in with Lexi because she has people in her life that are uh, suffer from manic depression. And she, I was like, is this what it is? And she's like, yeah, pretty much. The manic side is more angry in my experience. But other than that, it's like pretty spot the fuck on about especially being like, I know what the real deal is. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And that sort of manic, weird energy. Energy, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that they hit it. I think they hit it spot on, and I think it's an important conversation that we need to be having. Yeah, because it is like we do know now that the the youth of gener what is it Generation Z right is that what they're calling it that they are smoking less, they're having less sex, they're they're staying in school. It, it really is overall the women are men the men are women but it is it's like the most <laughs> accepting generation right. it but it's not without its faults because all of these acceptances and everything that that we're going through opens up the door for 20 other things yes and i think that people aren't focused on that because they're like but the numbers the numbers <laughs> like, you're right the numbers are great and it is good and i'm so i get so excited to talk to the youths about the differences of how we were raised and how they're being raised now. But yeah, one of my favorite uh, things to see is the is the implication or not implication is the um, insertion of all of these modern day technology things that I didn't experience in high school that yeah. gives me that perspective. You know, the dick pics and the video stuff and, you know, just all, all that, like uh, uh, all the social media shit and how that can be used for and against people right. in, in the high school world. And it's absolutely mortifying. I always say I'm so thankful that YouTube didn't exist and Facebook didn't exist when I was in middle school because it was hard enough that I had the the public online journals like even that was a little <laughs> do much. You, do, do you have access to those? Oh yeah. Okay, have you ever read those? Yes. Oh, well, okay. that's why I did that show. I did a, a show in L.A. Oh, I meant uh, a couple like, months ago. I meant for page seven listeners. So oh no. no! No no no! No, not very upsetting. <laughs> very upsetting. I I was uh, there was it was a much angrier, much sadder time, and they're not funny. And I, I've seen you angry, <laughs> and I've seen you sad. So for you to say yes. it's much more angry and sad, that's well, yeah, me times twenty because it's my teen hormones. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So let's get into it. I have so many questions. I want to talk later about what what character do you think you're most like, favorite moments, Ooh. favorite moments in the show, stuff like that. But I want to. We we did all this. <laughs> we did all this legwork. Let's get into the uh, all right. Let's jump into. I'm show. sorry. I, I'm just gushing That's over what here. It is. Hey, Jake and I call it the gush on Wizard and the Bruiser actually, and we usually open our shows with the gush, which I think yes. is the best. Just talking about your personal experience with the thing, which for me was literally. Oh, by the way, I guess I'll just say too. What I tell the people too is like it started off like a show that resembled like kids and train spotting, all those, all those movies and shows that uh, like Rules of Attraction, all those like bad kid movies from like the late 90s, early 2000s. It reminded me of that. And then slowly the show over a few episodes turns into this like masterpiece. 
is how I yes. felt about it, right? It's starting especially yes. with the carnival scene, which well, we'll talk really about. Well, that's really what it is. I know a lot of people that have watched the first episode was like, you got just keep going. Keep going. Just keep going. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. Yeah. But just keep going. Yeah. Get to at least get to the carnival scene. And if you're not into it after the carnival, not scene, episode, rather, it's an entire episode. If you're not into it after that, then you are released. Which which apparently that episode <laughs> itself took about a week was to shoot because nightmare. it was a nightmare. Yeah, we'll get into it. All right, so let's first talk about what this show is based off of, which is another show called Euphoria. Um, it was written by a uh, Ron Leshman. He is an award-winning novelist for Beaufort, which is about an Israel Defense Forces unit stationed at Beaufort Castle in South Lebanon during the South Lebanon. Has, this, has, this sounds like it has nothing to do with what Euphoria is, so I'm like really blown away at this per- writer's reign. Yes. Um, he ends up uh, co-writing, co-directing an adaptation of it. It gets nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards. So he's already kicking it off really well. Oh, yeah. And then it, he uh, he does this Euphoria series directed by Daphna Levin and aired in late 2012. And this is actually, weirdly enough, set in the 90s, centered around Gen X teens like us kind of well I guess we're technically I'm technically a millennial I believe but it's like I associate with the Gen Xers because I had an older brother that was like and that's the same with me as well that I was the youngest of two well I guess my sister's even she's not Gen X what's the one before your sister's Gen X your sister is she Gen X I think she's definitely I'm pretty almost certain she's Gen X okay yeah yeah so I think that I think that kind of that brings you into that because it, of course your I feel like your upbringing is based more on your older siblings as Jeremy well and, spoken <laughs> like that's that's on the stereo we are like you know what I mean like We're he's, jamming bra so now you bring up the fact that Ron Leshem was doing something very different from what this euphoria is but actually the original show was very different from the american show Mm, mm -hmm. in a lot of interesting ways like what you said where it's like it was based in the 90s so it was about a generation that isn't ours or i guess it is ours it's barely not ours but we're so close to it that we 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 are this weird in between group of people where I feel like we don't we we're I think we in this specific like from 1982 to like 1985 maybe is like a group uh, that it just does not it has a total identity crisis. We are yes. not we're kind of Gen X. We're kind of millennials. Well, and also everything changed as we were growing up mm-hmm. where we grew like I remember still like we still had the like going to the library and going through what was it, the system the Dewey decimal system and microvision <laughs> things like that. So we had that. But then we also got cell phones. And we also had the Internet. So we were the the bridge in between two very different times. Yes. And that is what is shown in the original Euphoria. Yes, and you, all right, so you showed me, you sent me the trailer, which you dug up somewhere. That's amazing. And people should check that out uh, if they're curious. Because actually the original was based on a real life murder. So it had a good amount of the, the characters in the original version of it. The character of Rue is based on Ronan Levy. Who was a teen that was murdered in 2006. Uh, well, interesting you would say all of that, Jackie, because in uh, Euphoria on HBO, there is no murder. But this is so the whole thing is that so it's two members of one of Israel's crime families. Both were 22, were arrested for killing the Rue character of the original. So because the Rue character was talking to a girl outside of a club and her boyfriend thought that they were flirting. So he chased down the Rue character in a Jeep and one of the people in the Jeep stabbed her in the heart. So the entire original series of Euphoria Rue is dead and is talking about everything that happened up until her death. They better not kill fucking Rue, dude. This is what I'm so scared of. <laughs> and I'm so scared. There was actually a lot more murder in the original because also in the original, Rue kills the Nate character as well. Gotcha. So it's all of these, uh, but Rue is dead the whole time. And that scares me, Holden. That is scary. Sam Levinson, who is the creator, promises that she's not dead (laughs) in the first season. In the first season. I want to go back and watch it and be like, 
could you take her out of this scene and it would be the same, you know what I mean? Like, right? Um, uh, I don't think that's the case. Um, do you have anything else on the original Euphoria before we talk about Sam Levinson? I feel like you did some, some. you got you got the, the, the nuggets that I couldn't find. I got find. in the nuggets. I went a little... Go, I no, really, no, give us go nuggets. Give us nuggets. I got, because I was so interested in what the differences were. <laughs> uh, so also they were talking about, so uh, like the Rue character's drug addiction. So... What I love is getting into the fact that it makes sense. So both of the characters, their drug dependency starts in response because of grief as well as guilt. So with Rue, she started her uh, she started her drug dependency because of her father's terminal illness because her deep grief was mixed with a cacophony of mental health issues. Hmm. But on Israel's euphoria, Rue had been using drugs for less than a year and her addiction was fueled by feelings of guilt after her boyfriend killed some random guy just for talking to her. Wow, so this is just way on another... It's way different. It's way... And I want to see... (laughs) If anyone that's listening to this can find the original that has English subtitles, please let me know because I'm not an aficionado. Yeah. I don't know how to find it because apparently you can find it but not with English subtitles. Uh... Really? That's yes. shocking to me because of the success of the HBO show. Also, it's shocking to me, like, how much good shit is out there that we just don't even have translations of, that you just don't even think about. Like, that there's a show, it's Israeli, right? Yes. That there's just some Israeli show out there that you would totally binge to pieces, but it's just, like, locked off in this way. I So I hope the popularity of the HBO show allows us to at least get to enjoy this, because this sounds fucking nuts! I want to see it! This, <laughs> I mean, especially once we get into the casting things, because also the characters are very different. But another thing that both of the series deal with in very different ways is 9-11. So as we all know, in the, in the U.S. version of it, it starts with mentioning the tragedy because Rue explained that she was born through Three days after 9-11 and her parents spent most of their time in the hospital grieving so generation z is the first generation to grow up without any knowledge of the world before 9-11 and has thus experienced adolescence in a fundamentally different way than anyone who came before them. i loved that touch that had me locked in immediately so immediately if, like i say like oh get to the carnival episode like i was fucking in to be honest with you from the very beginning but like it just got better for me as I went but what a great touch and I didn't even think of it of it that way and it's and me it, neither and that made so, and like that's why I blew my mind I was like you're right that's crazy that it is a whole it's a whole that they didn't know what life was like before then they didn't yeah. they, even though it was like things were even though things were worse then things were more trustworthy it's like there should we almost should have like stopped the years uh started the years over again like it's like BCAD shit you know what I mean yeah. like we should have just start all right it's year one now because ground zero <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah it's, it's it's such a crazy thing to think about and i um it's so sad to me the idea that people don't understand that there are so many people out there that are alive that don't know what this world was like before in america especially before that horrible tragedy um but anyways i digress which is also why the series creator the original series creator ron lesham said that he wanted the the series to be based in the 90s because he wanted to explore the differences between the generations of the kids that had never that these are all of the he wanted to deal with kids that at age like eight seven or eight had to deal with watching people jump out of the twin towers and what did, was it like before then right, right. so that people could have a direct comparison that even though it was in israel of course that had that was still greatly affected yeah. by 9/11 yeah. and just trying to show the the differences of life before it and after it and then levinson you know not to jump too far ahead but he does the opposite he's right. he's a guy writing about his life growing up in the 90s uh dealing with drug abuse and he's writing it though set in modern day it's that's so fascinating and and what you get out of that uh, uh, interesting perspective. That's so interesting. Well, yeah, let's talk about Sam Levinson sure, who uh, created the uh, American version. Sam Levinson, he made his film debut as an actor in the 1992 film Toys. Which, the second I saw that he was in Toys, <laughs> I gotta watch Toys again. Oh my God, Toys is the, gives me the weirdest feeling. It makes me feel so weird. 
weird. I was a, as a kid, I was terrified it, it of is toys. Very upset. It's like the weirdest. It's supposed to be Willy Wonka, and it's just like all the dark, unsettling parts of Willy Wonka with like none of the levity. Like you know what I mean? Yes. Um. So toys with Jack Nicholson. Uh, I'm not Jack Nicholson. Robin Williams. Uh, Robin rest Williams. in peace. And uh, I had to look up his credit just now. Um. And he was one of the kids playing the video games in the war room. So, so if you haven't seen that movie before, they set up these war video games, but they're controlling actual tanks and stuff. Like in a real war, they just don't realize it because they're the best at these war games. Have they're you like, watched that again? Should I it's, rewatch that I movie? I don't think so. It's so <laughs> upsetting. It's so Joan, upsetting. Joan Cusack's like amazing in it. Robin Williams yeah. is great too. But it's just so like, oh, it just makes you feel when the toy when they keep like taking parts of the warehouse away from them and like the walls are like shrinking in on them because they are expanding for more space for their war. I don't know. I just no, remember don't. one of the scenes where it's like the scary like tinker toys are just like ding, 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 <laughs> so, like coming down the hallway. I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be scary, so, but I'm terrified. It's like just the boat ride in Willy Wonka. Nothing else. <laughs> oh, nothing else. <laughs> so uh, Sam Levinson, uh, after toys, uh, he decides to get into writing and directing, probably uh, wasn't working out too well for him uh, on the acting front. Uh, he writes and directs a film called Another Happy Day about a woman played by Ellen Barkin who goes to her brother's wedding and gets wrapped up in awful family drama. Kind of sounds a little like, you know, like Margot at the wedding, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It didn't get the best reviews. It did win an award at Sundance. I have not seen it. Really cool. It's like a pretty solid ensemble cast. It looks like pretty interesting. And those are my kind of movies. Like, I like that kind of movie, so oh, I yeah. might have to check it out some point. Uh, he then co-wrote The Wizard of Lies. The Wizard. Did you watch that? I want to watch no, this. No, because the I, the, the the phrase The Wizard of Lies makes me sound like it's something I'm going to be really interested in, but I will <laughs> say, I don't give a fuck about Bernie Madoff. Really? I think I, lo- I like scam, scam artists and scandals. I'm always fascinated by, like, yeah. like people who lie every second of I'd their day. I'd rather be about a lying wizard and and then I'm in. <laughs> I am the Wizard of Lies. Yes, that's the that I'm in. Then I want to see it. You're not a human. You're a dog. You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, uh, so yes, it's about Bernie Madoff, uh, Madoff, and the whole scandal with him, uh, played by Robert De Niro. I want to check it out, but I didn't hear like a ton. Also, what is it? Helen Mirren is it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, fucking a. That's a great cast. Fascinating story. Um, I would actually love to check that out at some point then but that also is establishes a relationship with HBO right so that's what got that that's how we get we get him to HBO and then in 2018 this is something I definitely want to check out he wrote and directed a black comedy thriller called Assassination Nation. Uh, it's referred to as a teen exploitation film, and it's about um, essentially, all right, so a hacker leaks a bunch of personal secrets about all these people in this one town, and they, they just, it turns into absolute chaos, which sounds... I'm in. Yeah, I'm totally That sounds in. great. And I love the posters, just a bunch of rad-looking ladies with fucking, like, machine guns and shit. Fuck uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely into that. Um, and that's pretty much what brings them up to Euphoria. So... Not a huge repertoire we're talking about here. This is yeah. this is not. And also, the other other thing you need to know about Sam Levinson was before all of this career stuff, he battled horribly with uh, with drugs Drug addiction and very very intensely. And um, it, he he uh, all of that stuff that he wrote uh, was pushed into. Uh, the show um, and uh, yeah it's all deeply personal you know he talks about being in rehab and and being at the point where he was literally just like uh, I like is this going to be my legacy is this really what I'm going to what mark I'm going to leave on the world and uh, that was that that kind of snapped him out of it and and got him finally um, uh, out of his addiction and he's been clean and sober I think it was just like the characters in the show it was pretty much just like high school drug yes. addiction um maybe maybe a little bit after that but i yeah I, for the i think he was just he was just like one of those young just immediately fucking uh taken over by drug addiction people and uh he said uh, about 
So so he he gets a meeting with HBO's head of drama, um, and they sit down. He said, I had gone in to sit down with uh, Francesca Orsi, the head of drama, uh, and I asked her what she liked about the Israeli series, talking about the euphoria there. And she said, just sort of what a raw and honest portrait it is of drugs and being young and everything. So I started talking about my own personal history with drugs. I was a drug addict for many years, and I've been clean for many years now, but we just kind of talked about life for two hours, which that's, you know, it's a good meeting. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what you want to do in those meetings. And then she just said, okay, go write that. I was like, uh, all right. And I went back and sat down and I wrote kind of a 25 page outline that consisted of mainly dialogue because I'm not organized enough to actually write outlines and sent it over. And she said, you know, said, this is great, write the first script, and we kind of went from there. I love that, and I love, I love it. I also love that I get so bogged down when I'm pitching. So one of the things I love about this and what I do on Wizards and the Bruisers, I get to learn about what makes creative people successful. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we do story pitches and stuff like that, um, you put so much into the organization yes. of like, I have to have this, I have to have this. If you have a great idea... Just do it. Show it Just the way you want to show it too, yeah. right? And 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 for him, he was like, I can't do an outline. It's gonna be I can't do like a structured thing like that. So I'm just gonna write dialogue. Get your idea across any way you can. That was my takeaway. So he said, uh, Levinson said, I was just trying to capture that kind of heightened sense of emotion when you're young and how relationships feel. Relationships have such a pull and people have such such a pull and the world feels like it's just constantly sort of bearing down on you and that anxiety and those sort of mood swings that I think are inherent to being young in general then but are even more so when you struggle with anxiety and depression and addiction. It's true. So just trying to create this character that just is constantly trying to navigate this world of just heightened emotion and trying to either enhance the joy or kind of dampen the sadness or the darkness in it, which I think is a great description of the show and what he captured in the show. Well, that's why it always drives me crazy when people are like, when like oh we teen love and whatever they're gonna they, they don't even know yet they don't the reason why adolescence is so difficult is because you are having all of these hormones and all of these feelings for the first time and you're going through all of these things so of course it's heightened of course you think that if that if that person doesn't go on a date with you you're going to die and yes. you want your world to end it's because you'd never felt those emotions before so isn't it really that like you think of like young love and and young trauma and things like that doesn't it make even isn't it even more than we feel as an adult? We're dulled down at this point that, of course, it still hurts, and of course, things are still horrible, but you felt them before. You know that feeling. I fucking, I fucking had an emotional breakdown because my buddy canceled on plans to go to the movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I broke down and cried. I didn't even know why. You know what I mean? I just was so lonely and bored, I guess. But um, so, but it, it drives me crazy when people are like, they're young. They don't know. It's like, you're right. They don't know. Yeah. So they have all of the feelings. They have extra of the feelings. But God, it's so exciting. You know what I mean? Like yes. falling in love for the first time or like what you it's think exciting. is love. It's exciting. You don't know. Oh, my God. It's amazing and horrifying. Um, And, you know, he just tapped into that from his own life. So everyone's talking like, how did he write so well for millennials he didn't he wrote himself as a teenager what he felt with those addictions with all that stuff even that kitchen knife scene at the party was based on his own that he really happened to him yeah and he put pull he was the one that pulled the knife i mean he's just been through so much shit and that's jules in the show and we will talk about jules so so he gets a pilot order in 2018 with A24 Television. You've probably seen that logo before, before a lot of really they cool shit. They make all shit. of the good things. They make if all it's the good, cool A24 made it. They also produced the Carmichael Show. Shout out to Kevin. They did Two Dope Queens, Pod Save America. So, of course, they're doing stuff for HBO. And At Home with a- Amy Sedaris, just to name a few of the projects they are currently or were working on in the in the past. So that great production company, definitely for this kind of thing, this sort of like indie feeling thing that's like like still like but it got a lot of like force behind it and money behind it 
Um, so let's get into this fucking amazing cast. And I was Such shocked amazing cast. to know about Zendaya. Though. Like, I didn't realize how much of a risk Zendaya was taking because I don't know anything but about it these. Is Zendaya? I hate to be oh, that. Sorry, but Zendaya, it's Zendaya. Zendaya. That makes more sense, actually. I mispronounce everything, dear listeners, and I'm so sorry for that. And the only reason why I know that it's Zendaya is because there's a song that it's about her being in that like abominable snowman movie, and it's this dumb fun. Dumb song that always sex a man and goes, Zendaya is bitchy. <laughs> and she had spoken out about it. It was like, you know what? Thanks for saying my name right. So it's the only way I know that's how you say that's it. That's hilarious. I had no, I don't know about any of these like Disney people. That was just never something I caught. I, we're, She's as amazing. A, as a kid, did you like watch anything? Like I watched all of it. Okay, so all yeah. this. So you saw her on TV? Oh, no, I was too old. Right? You were a little too old for this yeah. one. But before that, you saw like. Um, it's like who, I was watching. You know, it's like, that's why I still love. I've got like a Stan Hillary Duff and things right. like that. You know, it's like I had the the right before then. You know, I will always love Shia LaBeouf because of Even Stevens. That's so and, weird. Like, I don't even yeah. know what Even Steven is. <laughs> love Even Stevens. <laughs> so Zendaya is, um, she plays the 17-year-old recovering drug addict, Rue Bennett, the main character. Character of the show who is just does a phenomenal job. She was born in Oakland, California, uh, had an African-American father and a mother with German and Scottish ancestry, and she cut her teeth acting at the California Shakespeare Theater where her mother was a house manager, which is so cute. She went to Oakland School of the Arts and performed in several stage productions. She became a member of a group called Future Shock Oakland. Future Shock Oakland, dance company that did hip-hop and hula m- oh, mostly. Is, that's awesome. I want to be a part of that. So she's learning that triple threat shit, right? She's yes. learning how to dance. She's learning how to sing. She's learning how to act in the in you know in a on a traditional theater background, which is always the best way to go at first, uh, I think. Um, and then she also is learning how to model, modeling for places like Macy's and Old Navy. And uh, she appeared actually as a backup dancer in a Sears commercial featuring Selena Gomez. I love her. And I guess maybe that's, I don't know if that's how she got connected to the Disney Channel shit. But either way, her first big role is on Disney Channel, Shake It Up, alongside Bella Thorne. <laughs> you know Known crazy person Bella Thorne About two It's about two But back- also shout out To Bella Thorne Go watch The Babysitter She's great in it Oh I need to see that Yeah yeah it's yeah It's great I need to see that So She's with Bella Thorne. They are two backup dancers at a show in Chicago. This is such a Disney Channel idea. And um, it led to some minor hit singles. So that's another weird thing. There are just these like weird kit like for tween hit singles done by Bella Thorne and Zendaya on the same track which is amazing because oh, yeah. they're on very different tracks I would say at this point you know uh, career wise yes. um, and uh, so she was on uh, from there she was also on season 16 of Dancing with the Stars and she ended up uh, finishing in second place unbelievable and uh, she's released and then she's releasing albums but uh, 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 she released a book between you the letter you and me how to rock your tween years with style and confidence she- I know I know I would listen to her <laughs> I would tell me how to do it <laughs> and uh, and then she makes her feature debut as most of us probably know in 20 2017 Spider-Man Homecoming, which was great. Did you watch Spider-Man Homecoming? I did. Yeah, she's it's great. great in both of them. Yeah. I saw the new one too. She killed it on it, and um, she put out a clothing line. This is woman is ridiculous. Like, and this is she all, can be how anything. Old is she at this point? At 2017, it just makes me upset about myself. It's insane. She's you know what I mean? Perfect. I love her. So, Daya by Zendaya was put out as, as her clothing line. She ends up co-starring in The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman as a trapeze artist. I love her. Uh, it was so funny she with The Greatest anything. Showman. Lexi was like, my my uh, my sister recommended I watch this and I was like, alright, cool, Did we'll watch, watch it. Did you watch it? We put it on. It was like late one night and she didn't realize it was like a Boz Lerman musical until it yeah. started and she was like, Oh, I can't handle this right now. <laughs> so we haven't gone back to it. Since. I haven't watched it's it. It's like we rented it for it. like five dollars. You don't want to watch it. Watch it. And so Levinson, by the way, Levinson had her in mind really early on. He said, "I had had this mood board that I brought into HBO, and I had her face on it. There's just something that I couldn't get over. She had this real vulnerability to her at times, and then a real toughness to her. I think that the toughest part of writing a character and sort of portraying a character." Character that's dealing with addiction 
is understanding the root causes of it and the sensitivity behind it. I had a meeting with her and we were just talking about life and various things. In that moment, I thought, oh, this is someone who has no ceiling. She, as an artist, she can do anything. She can go anywhere and she has a curiosity and a real drive to explore every aspect of it. She's willing to be pushed in that way. I think what she does throughout the course of this series is astonishing. She's just a spectacular talent and a joy to work with. And I also, and I, Holden, will say, what what a fucking risk, you know? What a yeah, cool man. risk to take. I mean, and maybe it's not that crazy of a risk when you think about it, because I mean, it's like she's she's already on top of her game, like whatever. It's not necessarily going to ruin her career. But, but if she was unbelievable, I would not have kept watching the show. No, not at all. That, I mean, that was completely about. I, I will say that if she was not good in the show, I think that the show would have at least fallen flat. And I think there's something about looking, and I imagine in working as an ensemble, that everyone's like, she is the leader of this. And they had to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. All of these young actors and actresses had to rise to the occasion. Yes. And that's awesome. And they all did it. And who rose to the occasion better than Hunter Schaefer oh as God, Jules. I love Jules. I think I most wanted to do this episode to learn more about this person, especially yes. after you t- talked to me about her story and yes. uh, a, br- a brief glimpse. And then I was like, oh, I want to know everything now. So yes. she, uh, Hunter Schaefer, uh, Jules Vaughn, is the new girl uh, arriving to town. She's transgender and uh, makes fast friends with Jules. Uh, she's born in Raleigh, North Carolina to a pastor father at Hudson Memorial Presbyterian Church and has three younger siblings, two sisters and a brother. And you were the one that told me so uh, immediately. All right. You think transgender North Carolina, the epicenter of issues with all of father that. Father is a pastor. Father is a pastor. Um, I mean, and that's when what what you told me and I was like, whoa, that's fucking amazing. But that he had her back. Right. He had her yeah. back, right? Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, she was definitely a part of the the bathroom bill in yes. North Carolina. She was named a plaintiff in the ACLU's yes. lawsuit over North Carolina's bathroom bill. And if you don't know about that, Jackie, can you explain it? Uh, I, I don't want to get it wrong. We're we're not, we're not we're not lawyers. Okay. Yes, I don't know exactly. I mean, I don't know exactly about it, but I do know that it's about accepting that or changing the bathrooms into gender neutral as opposed to being either just male or female. And it got really gross. I remember, you know, I, t- I talked to my parents about it because, of course, I'm in New York most of the time, but I would come home, especially during this time, and they were just so disappointed in everything that was going on with this because people were just making really gross statements about LGBTQ people, associating them with like child molest and all this weirdness and all this just weird paranoia that comes from bigotry and it was just a very disgusting it still is it still is a pretty gross time politically in North Carolina um, which is where I'm from by the way that's why I said my parents I'm from Charlotte North Carolina so Um, and uh, so Schaefer said I was in a place of privilege in my transition and felt like I could handle making myself visible in order to help my state understand why what we they were doing rather was detrimental to my community and that is incredible that is at just 20 years old I couldn't fathom going into a courtroom and protecting my identity and my community's identity um, in such a public way, even just as a fucking lame, straight white guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I, I, I couldn't fathom that stress. It was really important that she did that, especially at the time. That was during the time that she was a mo- she's a model. And because also before all this, she never acted before. Yes, isn't that nuts? That's insane. Because I isn't think she nuts? she gives one of the best performances in the entire thing. She is just totally the chemistry between her and Rue is so on point, and she's acting across from someone with how many years, how many hours of experience acting professionally uh, in all these different facets. Yeah, she was a model. She she modeled for uh, houses like Dior, Rick Owens, Tommy Hilfiger, Coach, Mark Jacobs. There were a lot more on that list that I left out but uh, just to give you an idea she was not just modeling like a career model yes um, and uh, it was actually big shout outs by the way I'm glad we get to say her name uh, uh, casting director Mary Venditti you deserve all Insane. the awards you killed it with the casting on this show I don't think there's a single part that I dislike 
uh, casting-wise in terms of this show. Um, so she said for the part of Jules, she hit the fucking streets, man. Searched the LGBTQ centers. She talked to folks in the trans community, and she actually discovered, which is you, another thing you told me that made me want to learn about this this person. She discovered Hunter through Instagram. Yeah, man. Is it a? It's insane. It's insane. Fucking social media, dude. You have. It's like it is a part. It's a part of all of it. Venditti said casting that one was extra scary because these were not people trained at all as actors. Hunter came in and won it in the room in a beautiful way. It was important that the character be very natural. Hunter had the experience. A lot of these kids are transitioning and going through this. She had never acted before. She could intuit what to do. Her performance is seamless. And I really loved how... Uh, and I, I don't know if I pulled a quote for this or not, but I definitely uh, read about this. I loved how it, it wasn't about her transitioning, like so many other stories about trans people that are in film or TV right now. It's all about them struggling as a person. Yeah, it's about their it's, it's all about them struggling and their transition. And this is a person who has transitioned, who is confident, who is, you know, still a human being and flawed and going through difficult issues. But but it didn't feel so much like um you know every because it, it, I, I get a little eye rolly when 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 um a situation like this can be handled like every two seconds you're getting reminded that she's a trans person well and also we're you finally know? just getting to the point that as a fat woman that it's not just like do you see we got a fat person on the show <laughs> do you see oh i bet they're thinking about their weight and then now we we've just come into that about weight so the fact that like it's like we could just get to that with every part of every community right wouldn't that be awesome and it's still like an element it's there but it's just not like yeah it's not like look what we did aren't we so brave right like, no uh, she's a person i didn't even know she was trans until like i think it was talked about like a couple of episodes in. I was like, it's, not about, it's not really even about that it's about her struggle as, as a as a human being as a as a fucking high school girl just fucking living living that shit so Maude Apatow uh, is uh, Rue's childhood friend Lexi she was actually in Assassination Nation and Levinson wrote the character specifically for her can we talk about Angus Cloud as drug dealer Fezco probably maybe besides Jules Maybe my favorite character in the entire thing. And his character, which is what I was referring to earlier, that th so I know that we're talking about the casting because they actually found him on the street. Yeah. It was another one that in the same kind of way of casting Jules as well. He was just walking down the street and Venditti saw him and asked the kind of things that he did because he was exactly the look that she was looking for. And he actually worked in production, wow. but on the side of building sets. Wow, yeah, and like, yeah. And never thought, never even wanted to act. And also the character of Fezco. Fez is very different in the Israeli version is actually a lot bigger of a part of it because he there the inter the relationship between he and the Rue character is very troubled. And I think that that was really hinted at. And that was something that I actually also really enjoyed about the American version of Euphoria is the idea of I knew those people where your drug dealers are. And a lot of times, especially when it comes to like where I was in a small town, it's people that care about you. Yeah. But also you can say, how do they care about you if they keep giving you drugs and they right. keep selling this to you? So in the Israeli version, Fez actually rapes Rue after oh. realizing that she doesn't care about him the way he cares about her. And that's a huge part of the show Jesus. because he was giving her drugs to have sex with her. That's and the when, it's like the opposite in this It's situation. the opposite of it in this. And I actually like the fact that in the American version, it's exploring that other side of things where you can love and care about someone and also hurt them. Right. And, and when he finally stops in that scene, when she's out outside the door trying to get drugs from him and he's just sitting there he listening to her scream at him, that was such a, like that was one of the scenes that I had to stop. <laughs> and walk outside. It, yeah. I was just, I was like, that's, I've, I've seen this. I've, that's I've done this. 
And um, but yeah, so the but the fact that he just had no idea, he never wanted to, he didn't even know he wanted to act. He worked at apparently he said he worked at a chicken and waffle joint in Bushwick. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. Yeah, Vendetti said about Angus Cloud, he did not have to come in. We saw the search tape, no question. He was the character, hundred percent. And even though he's a drug dealer, he has so much heart. You can see who he is. He's a natural. These kids, they're young. They don't have to be doing anything. They're trying to figure it out what they're doing. And that's the key word, heart. He has this totally like dead face, like low key, chill ass drug dealer exterior. And yet you, the heart oozes out of him in every pore. And it's just this, it's like a magic trick. It's amazing to watch. Also, uh, Barbie uh, Ferriera. Yes. Ferriera. Um, I did not, I didn't realize she's got a crazy story too. She was. Oh my um, God. She, and she's, have you followed her Instagram? Yes. I did follow her. Instagram. She is. Oh my God. She's so hot. And she, she, this character has, has such a strong arc in the show. She starts off. She plays Kat. She plays Kat Hernandez. She starts off this very shy, virgin woman. And, and you just watch her lose that fucking shit like a bad habit and end up really exploring who she is as a woman, gain all this confidence, like become a, like a dom, <laughs> essentially. Yes, um, and a cam the, girl. The real woman grew up in NYC in Jersey. She began her career as, an, uh, as a model in her teens by sending photos to American Apparel in an open casting call and has gone on to model for Adidas, Forever 21, H&M, among many others. A video of hers went wa- uh, viral from her Aerie campaign. Aerie is, is that, what? what's Aerie? American Eagle. Oh, okay, gotcha. Along with unretouched photos, and uh, Time named her one of its 30 most influential teens in 2016. So she was already crushing the game. Oh, like, yeah. And, um, yeah, she has this super popular Instagram. Jack, you want to describe her Instagram? It has over 1 million followers. She's she's very, very attractive. <laughs> her her style is amazing. She's fiercely confident, and, or at least the, the, that's what her social media portrays. And she's everything I ever wanted to be. <laughs> but you kind of are. I mean, you got I it. wish. Are you kidding me? <laughs> My God, I wish. Um, she just kills it in the show, and it's so cool to see that she has this like insane. All it's this other, all these people have such diverse. And is that a millennial thing? I think maybe like that everyone has such diverse careers. Like no, but I feel like our generation, all the generation before, it's like you focus on one thing, and, and that's the it. thing you do. But now it's like no, if you want to be an influencer, you're a model, you're an actor, you're a you know you're a ambassador for brands. Which I think it's good. It should be like you know everything should be. You should be a the the master of many different hats. Yes, wearing That's a phrase. far too many hats trying to keep them on your head. Master of the hats, <laughs> keeper of the keys. Um, <laughs> then you also have Sydney Sweeney, who plays Cassie Howard, a girl who knows how to use sex to get what she wants, but is also haunted by a past of gross guys, sex, and videos. Uh, she has starred in Handmaid's Tale, which I had to be reminded by Lexi because I didn't even remember her in that. Oh, she's, yeah. She was also in Sharp Objects and is a trained MMA fighter. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> also, another part of the casting I wanted to bring up was the the casting of McKay, who plays her boyfriend in it. It was originally cast by, uh, who played the character was Brian Astro Bradley, but he left after the the pilot. He was a former contestant on The X Factor, but he's also a rapper. And after he did the pilot, he found out what was going to happen in the rest of the show, and he dropped out. And he just essentially was like, it was too much. He was too uncomfortable. Hmm. And so then they had to go back through and reshoot all of the scenes with McKay in the first season. Really? Yes, because he had dropped out because he couldn't handle it. That must have been awful for her yes isn't that and like can you imagine her having to do those scenes twice Ugh, that is so brutal yeah um you also have uh uh jacob elordi i didn't realize he was australian australian and uh and again it kind of like zendaya sort of this like teen heartthrob dude that just takes a sharp right turn with the work he does I don't even see him as an attractive dude because of his character in the show yeah and I saw him on something else like some sort of like you know interview or whatever I was like damn I didn't realize how hot that guy is because you just don't see him as hot in the show (laughs) (laughs) rough 
All right. I think that's – do you have anything else for the casting for no. our actors before we get into some of the dirt and nitty-gritty on the shooting of the show? It was shot in the lot in uh, uh, Sony lot in Hollywood, which takes up multiple sound stages. Uh, most of the homes are actual practical sets. Uh, the coolest one being the motherfucking um, crazy rotating hallway that they built Ooh, on the sound stage. They built it. They built that. Yeah, there's actually a really cool little like special clip of showing how it all worked. It was done practically. The extras in the hallway are strapped to the uh, floor and the wall so it looks like they're casually hanging out but they are actually like straight up strapped down to it so the gravity wouldn't make them you know slam down the floor and the whole Nuts. thing rotates and I, I and I did because I didn't realize until I found out that she was a trained dancer that makes so much sense because there's so much movement stuff that she had to do especially in those drugged out scenes there are moments in the show that feel like a music video and oh yeah she, she's not specifically dancing per se but she's doing intense movement it's rhythmic work. movement yeah though. it's it's so cool to watch and it makes so much sense that Zendaya's a super duper trained dancer um the lighting schemes were actually preset with color and so uh they they would have all the schemes preset so it's more about it was more about the movement of the camera capturing the way yeah. they captured the light it was inspired by uh the photography of a guy named todd hildo check out his stuff h-i-d or hido is it hido h-i-d-o it, you'll immediately be like yep that's euphoria it's these like d- these spacious it's kind of almost haunting Americana style like um, landscapes with buildings and stuff that are like yeah. empty, but with like weird fog and neon light coming out of it to make give it this Nuts. surreal feel that that sh- the whole show I also mean, has. Uh, the show was beautiful. Levinson said, night suburban landscapes that felt almost sci-fi-ish in a way, where you had these kind of striking cyans and golds. It was sort of a way to express the kind of alien nature of the world when you're young, which is, like, fucking so spot on. It's amazing. It makes a lot of sense that P.T. Anderson's Magnolia uh, was a big inspiration in terms of movement and camera work and dolly work. Uh, Magnolia and P.T. Anderson, especially back then when, you know, with Boogie Nights and all that stuff. His camera work is just on fire and just crazy. Very, very Scorsese influenced as well. Levinson said, we wanted it to have a real formality to it. I think it helps because narrative moves so fast, it helps structure it and it helps give it something to frame it. Otherwise, it could feel like there is a train going off the tracks. He didn't want to have like a handheld quality to it. He wanted it to feel very composed with the way that all the shots are, which you get. I mean, it was. was, Every episode was was artwork. Yeah. It was, yeah. It almost has like a Michelle Gondry feel at times, you know, just very, very thought out. Every little bit of camera work and everything. The cinematographer, shout outs to Marcel Rev from Hungary. He also did Levinson's Assassination Nation, which is another reason why I want to see the movie because the that cinematography is incredible. Um, and as you said, the carnival scene, very difficult, took six nights to film, and it was so cold and dusty, Zendaya needed an inhaler to get nah, through it. Which it makes sense. It looks dusty, yes. but in the right way. But who gives a fuck about the filming when we could be talking about the fucking the makeup? makeup. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> I with I started. Man, I'm ready. I bought so much glitter. I just want <laughs> to look like all of these teenagers. So, if you were curious, the name of the makeup designer is Daniela Davy or Davy. Debrali Davy, who said this was her most challenging project yet. Of course, it was the uh, um, sheer amount of of variety and variety of looks is unbelievable. I've never like I don't notice makeup. All right, I'm a stupid fucking moron guy. Well, and that's right? what I, actually one of the quotes I yeah is from her. It's like usually so and so has their everyday look, and that's just their look. Yeah, this was completely different because Sam wanted the makeup to be its own full expression of what was going on with the characters. If they're experiencing yes. different emotions and circumstances in all these scenes then the makeup had to be different so I didn't even also realize which I want to go back and watch every time they are in a new outfit or in they like even like like sometimes in, even in like flashbacks or whatever there's different specific makeup for each look yes and for for each emotional display of what is Isn't happening with the characters awesome? so smart and and even though I didn't notice it um that literally I definitely felt it subconsciously in a lot of way because it just it was it stood out in the best way it didn't stand out like oh everybody's just 
face full of makeup. It was like it stood out in this in this way that just added to the art of the of everything going on. Davies said, staying inspired was an issue sometimes, especially during the height of my exhaustion. My brain would go numb with all the makeup looks I was looking at and drawing inspiration from uh, to the point where nothing I looked at felt cool anymore. I had to keep my creative brain thriving. She also said makeup represents not only who we are, but also who we feel like being on any given day, who we need to be that day for our own emotional survival, or who we aspire to be. This notion gives makeup in general this fantastical quality. I think you see this a lot in Alexa and Barbie's looks. Makeup as protective armor, but also as a way to raise their self-worth and present superhero versions of themselves. Well, and that's and that's why it's so awesome when they were talking about it. Apparently, Davey and Levinson had a huge conversation about whether Rue would wear makeup makeup or not and he would be like yeah why not why make her a stereotypical drug addict who's always going to wear no makeup and walk around in boxers right why confine her to that restriction when she could be wearing glitter and Davy also recalls Sam was definitely the brains behind that she does do something it just has to be emotionally evocative and it has to be a look she would do and I was very interested in the fact that like so it was at the carnival when she had the glitter underneath her eyes that Davy referred to as the sad clown look. So Levinson gave her the direction on the shape and the placement because the look naturally gives a mood, moody emotional effect, kind of like tears. Because in the episode before, she had spent a lot of the time crying, so he wanted to evoke the tears but in a fantastical way. So that we're like the tears didn't go away and the feelings didn't go away, but it turned into glitter on her face, which that I like, I got chills when I read that. I was like, that's amazing. You're making me want to f- just like go rewatch the whole thing. Watch right it again. <laughs> uh, by the way, there are far too many brands to name that, uh, that uh, Daniela Davy used. So if you'd like to look, to check all those out to get uh, ideas or to go pick up your own versions of of the things that were used in uh, Euphoria, check out Paper Magazine's interview with Daniela Davy. At the end of it, it lists like every brand all she uses. It's like this giant paragraph, though, so be prepared. Um, but yeah, just absolutely amazing. It's so you know, and usually like unless um, like. Going to, to to other things I've researched before, usually like the makeup, unless there's like it's a big horror movie or something, I never really spend very much time on. Um, so it is such a testament that like I I one of my main things I wanted to do was was focus on the makeup of this show because it is so strong and so wonderful, and she better fucking win. And the fact that it's also deliberate, it make and it makes so much sense that like. Even when it came down to Jules, she said that Davy also often skipped finishing touches like swiping mascara onto Schaefer's lashes so Jules' looks wouldn't be totally precise and perfect because she, quote, really doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Her character is so cool because she is self-assured. Even though she makes mistakes and gets herself into trouble and into painful situations, she's so brave. And that makes sense. Yes, that's so smart. Um, did you have anything else on makeup before we talk about another thing that is so just specific and coordinated and wonderfully done in the show, my the, sound, the soundtrack. My is a cage. Oh, my God, dude. That when, scene. Dude, the whole thing, when that Beyonce fucking... We're talking about fucking, the soundtrack is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about, about the soundtrack. The when that Beyonce track kicks in at the on the very first episode, ooh, when the every time the, the opening Euphoria title card pops, there's a song to go with it that it just crushes it, just knocks it out of the park. The, yeah, Beyonce, you got Megan the Stallion we've talked about on page seven, Fiona Apple, Doja Cat, Lizzo, and there are so many other ones. Um, of course, Drake, who along with Future are executive producers on the show. Which it's, I think is really cool. I think it's a cool project, even though I'm, I've got my feelings about Drake. Um, it is a cool project to become a part of. It's funny. I was literally reading a, a thing being like, what did he do on the show? Nobody mm. can tell. He mm. just sort of championed it, like, in the news and stuff, and, like, was a bit good. Uh, I think he just really helped with publicity for, for the well, show. Well, also, the fact, but then there's things like when Leonardo DiCaprio said, I love that show, and apparently all of the cast, like, they, I forget which one of the, the girls made shirts with Leo's face <laughs> on it that says, I watched that show, because they were all like, Leonardo DiCaprio loves it! That is so fucking funny, man. Um, 
I have a, a lovely uh, end quote for us about uh, Levinson and uh, what the show's impact would ha- has on, on parents and having a dialogue with their kids. Is there anything else you want to cover, though, before we round things out? What else do you have for me? Do you have anything, any good more nuggets to smoke on Euphoria? No more nuggets. Well, things like uh, I've got ideas about nudity, that things that were said about it. That it's like there's a lot of nudity in Euphoria and a lot of discussion about nudity, particularly regarding sending nudes to one another. And now at one point, Rue says, I know your generation relied on flowers and father's permission, but it's 2019. Nudes are the currency of love. So stop shaming us. What I like is just this line is part of the show's controversy seems to be pointing out that controversial things just aren't that controversial anymore. How funny too was that uh, dick pic uh, how to or whatever like remember that right and, it, it was great it's uh, great yeah let's talk about a couple of favorite moments uh, the carnival episode is probably my favorite the lighting in that episode is incredible the pacing of that episode is incredible I loved the uh, just the acting that everyone did I think obviously the, the my body is a cage uh, f- figure skating moment is unbelievably good just knocked my socks off with my body is a cage. And it just, I also went into a deep dive into the reviews of the show. And a lot of it is just old people that don't fucking get it. Like the review in the Washington Post said Euphoria is banal and derivative. And worse than that, it's a series designed to profit off of misplaced panic about teenagers. Did you watch the show? Yeah. That's right. not what it's about. Yeah, total. I, yeah, that all that shit is so. I had to like not look away. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. This is a time when the internet and I are just not going to get along when it comes to opinions, yeah. which is fine. Um, what character do you think you are the most? The character, I don't even know. I guess honestly, in a very different way, I was the Jules character. When right. it came down to my group of friends, because I would consider my best friend who I lost to drug addiction was Rue. And gotcha. I think that was more than anything was that she reminded me of this person so much that I guess I, I mean, I, of course, a mixture of jewels and cat. Obviously, I mean, there's all I didn't get into webcamming or things like that, but I definitely use sex as a way to deal with how I felt about myself and to mm-hmm. hurt myself. I I want to be Fez Co. and I want to be Cat, but I'm not them. I'm actually Nate's dad. Okay, weirdly, okay, enough. yeah. So I sort of secretly uh, get people to go to a hotel room and sort of do horrible things. I don't think you would spend the money on it. <laughs> I don't think I'm I think anybody. That's why I know that's not true. <laughs> I don't I don't think I'm anybody in the show, actually. Also, I. by the way, shout outs too to some of the actors we didn't mention. I really thought Nate's girlfriend was a lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, there's so many that like even like also um, Nate's dad. Uh, what's the name of the Nate's actor? Nate's dad is like out, knocks it out of Eric Dane, I believe. Eric Dane, who go, you want to talk, Dede? Oh <laughs> my God! I also I think it also really showed the difference of age. We're like, that's the man I want to kiss. But um, he had said, which I thought was very cute, that he used a fake penis for his penis but he said he would have shown his if the creators if everyone felt it was important for him to put himself on the line like that the way his co-stars were doing it and he was ready to do it he said if they had asked him to do it he would have definitely done it a thousand percent to get the real feelings but i don't think you know it's also rough to do that in front of someone that's so young you know just whip your dick out Uh, scary Absolutely. Also, by the way, I'm total. Now that I realize it, I'm totally Lexi Howard. I'm Maude Apatow's character. I was really. Oh, you are. Yeah, you're definitely Maude Apatow's character. You're definitely Maude Apatow. Bob Ross. I was definitely always the guy being like, "All right, well, see you later. Go do your dirty stuff. I'm gonna. Yep. I'll be that playing a video game." When she texts her sister of just like, "Hey, McKay's here." You need to yeah. get your fucking shit together and get the fuck out of that room. Right, right. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Helping everybody out. Helping um, everybody that's doing the bad things. So I don't think this is about... A, I don't think parents should panic while they watch this. I think they should take this with like a grain of salt, but also understand that I think kids are a lot further ahead of... Uh, 
of them than they were at that age, right? And maybe yes. that a dialogue should happen about, you know, the dangers of certain things and what what is uh, healthy and what is unhealthy behavior in relationships and all that stuff and, you know, the dangers of drug addiction and everything. Um, Levinson said this about the, the show's impact on parents. I think what's different about this time is that, uh, that at least pre-internet, there were more similarities between one generation and the next. And now I think that gap has grown in a very significant way. I think part of what's so difficult to try and navigate the world at this age right now is there is no map. There's no compass. There's no one to kind of guide you one way or another because it's a brand new world every five years. I think that's what makes it particularly difficult is that kind of very real and big disconnect between parents and children. So if anything, I hope that it at least opens up a dialogue between the two because it's hard being a teenager. It's difficult, especially, too, if you're struggling with addiction and battling those things. Hopefully, it'll open up those means of communication. Well... I don't know, because we're neither parent nor child, but hopefully it does. Either way, uh, I think that's it. That's our episode on Euphoria. Uh, it's been yet another true Hollywood story. <laughs> I, um, this, uh, sorry it was so long. There's just so much. Oh, of course. And I didn't want to stop. I just, it was very interesting going down this rabbit hole at first when, Holden had brought up doing this. I was like, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm down. I love the show. But then as they started reading into it, I was like, oh, my God. It makes me love it even more. Oh, uh, yeah. It's the best. <laughs> this was so much fun to do to, to learn about and talk about today with you, Jackie. Yes. Uh, thank you, Holden. Join us again soon for another. I don't know if I like the fake goosh, goosh, goosh. goosh. Oh, no. Everything's getting dark. I think I. Don't you don't. It's a wrong show. Show, Holden. <laughs> Wrong show. True Hollywood story. All right. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.